God has helped us with, I'll tell you about today, and, uh, and set us free and given us a family. And I had not tracked Jim down for a long time and heard about some real dark moments in his life and l- great loss in his life. And, um, and he'd lost a son driving back to college in a horrific accident, um, just, just horrible stuff. And I thought, I've got to track Jim Berg down. And so, man, what you do is you start from Casper, Wyoming, and it takes you uh, to Nebraska. And lo and behold, through some, I mean, I made a number of phone calls to say, how can I get to Jim Berg? I'm talking just a couple months ago. How do I get to Jim Berg? And finally, someone gave me his number in Missoula, Montana. Come on, give it up for that. Missoula, Montana. That's one of the most dangerous airports you can fly into, by the way. But bottom line is I got Jim online. You know what? We are so tight. Have you, have you ever had people in your life so tight that, hey, the moment you say, hey, Jim Berg, this is Robin Wood, I mean, there's nothing but warmth for each other. Now, now I don't know why God does this. He does it mainly in marriages, but he helps us marry an opposite or have an opposite personality as a best friend. Come on. So I have all this energy, and I'm always too loud and always too aggressive, and you can barely hear Jim's voice. Come on. Why is it? He has no energy, you know, nothing. So I, and, I, and I don't know why I started this way, because I know the pain in his life, but he knows I care deeply. So I said, Jim, how are you? And listen, it was this unbelievable spiritual moment. He paused. I thought, he's not going to talk because he's barely breathing. Come on, enjoy me. Have you, you, don't you have someone like that in your life? And then he said, with a very quiet voice, God is an awesome provider. And I mean, I got chills on the phone. And I said, Jim, would you say that one more time? I said, I didn't expect you to say that. I I said, I know the pain, the loss, the brokenness, whatever. 90% of people go through a divorce that lose a child, you know, and they barely have sustained their marriage. And I love him and, and Kim. And he said, again, with no more energy, Robin, he said, Robin, listen to me. God is an awesome provider. Would you say it with me? God is an awesome provider. You know what I said to him? I'm going to take that sentence everywhere I go, and I'm going to preach it. No, I told him that that day. I have no idea what I was going to preach about. But God is an awesome provider. And I know the phrase Jehovah Jireh. You know, we know, we know that Abraham finally listened to God and said, will you offer your only son? How in the world do we even get through that passage? I can't even go read it to you today. But he gets him, he puts on, and, and Isaac's asking, where's the sacrifice? And he's being tied up. Come on, this is painful. Painful to even tell. And he raises a knife. And then people have asked me, how loud do you think God spoke to tell Abraham to stop? I said, listen, he would have heard a whisper because this is his only son. He may have only heard that voice in his spirit, but God said, stop. And then God provided, as you know, a ram in the thicket, because, say it with me, God is an awesome, say it with me, come on, God is an awesome provider. Now, I thought we should start the service with a great Bible verse. So you want to say one with me? Okay, we're going to put the words up. Are you ready for the great Bible verse? You people are no fun at all. Come on. Let's say it. Come on. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. You've read that verse, haven't you? Of course you haven't. It's not in the Bible. But neither is all the other things people say. You know, haven't people said to you, God won't give you anything more than you can bear? That's not in the Bible at all. It's just that he's faithful and he's an awesome provider. Or they'll say, God helps those who help themselves. No, he doesn't. 
We don't help ourselves, and he still helps us. Come on, that's not in the Bible. Neither is Humpty Dumpty, but here's what is in the Bible. Look at me, people. We've all had a great fall. It's not just about the fall in Genesis. That's the big fall. But we've all had that fall. And those of us who have even loved Jesus, just like Peter, after knowing Jesus, have had a great fall. I listed a few names for you. I listed a few names. Abraham, Moses, David, Samson. Now, you know Abraham. Abraham didn't trust God, and we call him the father of our faith. God asks Abraham just to be faithful to his wife, and he meets the Pharaoh and says, my wife, say it with me, is my sister. Come on, you got to know the Bible. He lies about his wife. And then, of course, Sarah is no better. God says, I'm going to give you a child that's going to be the father of nations. I'm going to give you a child in your old age. And she laughs at God, and God says, did you laugh? Come on, Sarah's awesome. She said, no, I didn't laugh. Come on. We got two liars together. Come on, might as well attract each other. You know why she's laughing, though, don't you? I, I get a kick out of this. I, I read the scriptures very creatively. She's laughing because she's thinking, I've not been going to the grocery store to buy diapers. I've been buying Depends for Abraham. Come on, he's 90. I've been buying Depends. And then she's got to be laughing because she's probably thinking, well, I don't have to change the way I'm making food. There's no tooth in the house. Come on, she's been, she's been straining the food for Abraham. But I gotta, you got to love Abraham. All you guys look at me because Abraham doesn't laugh because he thinks he can still do it. Come on, people. He thinks he can still have a baby, whatever. But the truth is, they're 90. You can't have a baby. No wonder she laughs. She said, yes, God. By the way, every time God says to us, hey, would you repent of what you've done? We should just say yes. Don't make up a story. You know, because we've all had a great fall. In fact, you put your name in that. I did all week this week. Robin Wood sat on a wall. Robin Wood had a great fall. No, I got to go plant a church. This church is so special to me because I got to plant a church about the same age as Paul. And I was there 18 years in Phoenix. And God bless. And I shared the dream with 100 people, 90 people, whatever. Only six people said they believed. Come on, only six people believed. So don't be, don't be nervous today. This place is going to explode. And that church grew to 4,000. And all we did was we told people we've had a great fall. And you, it's not the king's horses. I mean, we need Jesus to put us back together again. And Samson, Samson never did tell the truth about his life. Now, you may not know this if you're not a big Old Testament scholar, but Samson took a Nazarite vow. There are three aspects to a Nazarite vow. That he'll never cut his hair, that he'll never put alcohol to his lips, and that he'll never touch a dead animal or carcass. Now, I mean, it sounds a little weird, but that was just a Nazarite vow. And Samson broke every part of his vow. When he realized he had this great power and he had not cut his, he realized he had this great power, he never once gave credit to God. He used it selfishly. You've read the story probably. He used it selfishly on himself. And then when he was able to even kill an animal and, and he found honey in, in the carcass of an animal, he took it to his parents. And, and here's, here, here's the problem with all of us that have had a great fall. If we've had an addiction or, or a habit or a sin that has tied us down, he went to his parents, and they said, where did you find this honey? You know what the root of every brokenness is? Secrecy. Secrecy. You want to break, you want to break your addiction? You want to break the, the, the spiritual Achilles heel that you have, the sin in your life? You've got to tell the truth. You've got to tell your story. God's making me tell a part of my story today that I haven't told for 15 years. I just don't want to, but I, but I had to do it because God asked me to do it. And I, the first service said that, that helped me. 
But the bottom line is secrecy. He didn't tell his parents that he had this great power. He didn't tell them where he found the honey. And then, of course, he, he, he went to the, the big feast of, uh, in, in that day in, under the king's rule. So he had to have some drinks. So he broke every part of those vows. And then we got David, who's a murderer and an adulterer. And we've got Moses, you know, who, who takes into his own hands. I love Moses' story because that's more like us. We always say, God, I think you need a little help. God says he's going to use us to set the people free. And Moses says, okay, I think I'll kill one of them. Yeah, do it on my own. Have you ever done Come on, has God ever asked you to do something? You said, I'll get this done by myself. I don't think his plan, it takes too long to get where he's going. No, we always try to help God out. But I could tell you, everyone in the Bible, and then we get the New Testament, those that were followers of Jesus had a great fall. Peter denies Jesus right in the garden. Come on, put your name in there. Robin Wood sat on a wall. Robin Wood had a great fall. And the only way to wholeness is to let Jesus put us back together again. And only Jesus can help us tell what's going on inside now, the Apostle Paul, I'm going to tell you four things about the Apostle Paul, or five things I don't think you've ever been told, even though you've read them. You've read them. We haven't really acknowledged that the Apostle Paul's trying to tell us something about himself. He's trying to tell us that he had some brokenness. He's trying to tell us he might have had an addiction. He might have had some sin in his life. Now, he's, he, he's, he's been stricken down by Jesus himself, but he still has problems he's trying to tell us about. But you know what? We don't like to talk about our brokenness. And so we, we gloss over these verses and get right to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But listen to what he's trying to tell us. He refers to himself as the chief of sinners. Now, he does that late in his ministry. So doesn't it seem a little odd unless he's trying to tell us, listen, I still struggle. Now, we could know that even better if we read Romans 7. But, you know, we go to seminary and then people say, well, no, he's just telling us about how his life was before Christ. No, he's not. This is what life is always like. Here's what he says to us. I don't understand my slave nature to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, tell me if you relate to this. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do it. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer myself that do it, but it's a sin living in me. I know the good itself does not dwell in me. In my nature, it's not good. I want to do what's good, but I can't do what I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, I do. Are you confused yet? Listen, I've only heard a certain group of people talk like that. Look at me, because I am one. Addicts and people that are addicted to a particular sin. Now, don't get confused by the word addiction. It's just one particular sin, full grown, that's out of proportion. You know, the problem with most Christians is they kind of compartmentalize their sins. So they have a little sin over here, a little white lie over here. They're a little too angry with that child, but not angry with another child. And then they kind of talk down to their spouse, but not too much. It doesn't get totally abusive, but really it kind of edges towards that. And it's disgust. Are you with me? Come on, are you tracking with me? And we compartmentalize all this. And then you talk to most people and they say, I feel like a pretty good person. I'm always confused. You feel like a pretty good person because you just think of the one little thing here, the one little thing here. You know, I took that, I took that from work, or I stole, but, but I'm not a thief. Oh, 
See, we compartmentalize it. Now, what I love about addicts, maybe I love about myself, I'm not confused. I've had a great fall. Look at me, people. I'm not confused. I don't need a little tune-up. I don't need a little fixing up. I need a Savior. My favorite verse, I need a Savior. Jesus Christ came into the world, and he was our Savior, not a fixer-upper. He went to the cross for us. And so, we've had, we had something going on in our life. Now, Paul, look what he's trying to tell us. There's another verse that tells us that about his constant struggle in Romans 7. And then he says to you that have some lustful issues and whatever, and he goes, so you're talking to me, and you don't think that I burn daily? Look at me, people. Come on, you guys, look at me. No one's smiling. The Apostle Paul's trying to say, I deal with this daily. I deal with what you deal with. And I die to myself daily so that Christ can be in my life and keep me on the, on the right path. Now, this is what no one will tell you. Lydia, who started the church at Philippi, you got to love her because she's a church planter. She said, Paul, if you're a Christian, you'll stay at my house. Now, guys, I want you to look at me now. He goes, nope, can't stay with you. Don't trust myself. Come on, people. You're not even smiling at me. He can't stay at her house. No one preaches that text. She goes, why can't you say you're a Christian? No, I, I don't trust myself. See, he's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell. Now he really lays it out there for us when he says, listen, people, I have a thorn in my flesh. I begged. It's a messenger of Satan who keeps coming after me. And I pleaded with God to take it away. You know that verse. And God didn't take it away, but said that famous verse that we don't love. I don't love this verse, even though it's, it's, off, it's an awesome verse. My grace is sufficient in your weakness. Brag about your weakness. That's the next verse that we put up there. The Apostle Paul says, I will brag about my weakness to exalt Christ because I can't. I can't handle all this. Now listen, he's trying to tell us that he has things going on just like we do. He's trying to say that sin is always coming after him. And that though he's walking with Jesus and dying to himself daily, he's got some big things going on. And why does it make us so nervous? Especially if the pastor tells us, hey, I'm dealing with some stuff. Our pastor is honest with us about some of his sexual temptation. But, but listen, he's still putting Christ first. But he helps us because he tells us what Paul did. Now, we call something a thorn that we're ashamed of, don't we? We had to rename it. Now, listen, if someone tells you, well, Paul called a thorn, he probably had malaria or he had bad eyesight. Now, I want you to laugh when I tell you this. Listen, if you got bad eyesight, what do you do? Pray for my cataract surgery. Come on. We just say it straight out. Just pray for me. If I got malaria, come on, it's not a shame. I'm not ashamed of having a sickness. I have malaria. Pray for me. But that's not what he's got going on. Or he wouldn't say it's a thorn in the flesh that in the Greek tells us it really is an emotional, spiritual, and it's a hindrance to his walk with Christ. It's a dagger that he pleaded that God would just take away so that he could not have this challenge in his life with sin and to do what he didn't want to do after he said, God, I'll never do that again. And then he faces it again. This is such, such a, a story of helpfulness if we'd preach it. The apostle Paul is trying to help us walk with Christ, but secrecy doesn't do it. And we can't rename it. We need to find someone we trust to say, this, this is my thorn. And I've been grateful. So I, I want to tell you about a personal experience that I, I didn't want to tell you about. But when I went through my brokenness in 2004, 
And I resigned as a church planter that after 18 years, and now there's 4,000 people, and I had to stand in front of them and, and say, you know, I've fallen. <sighs> then, then I went through a divorce. And then I, I'll never forget just not wanting to live. And no one knew these dark days. And I'll never forget when my wife, then she left and moved to Indiana. And she went to work for a woman that you'll know the name, Gloria Gaither. Bill and Gloria Gaither, the greatest songwriters of all time in the gospel field. And one day, it was so dark for me. I remember being mismedicated. I remember just not being able to get out of bed. I remember not being able to fill my legs. I couldn't even go to the workout. And so, but I, I kind of tried to get in the car and drive to Sports Authority, tried to get a tennis rack, think maybe, maybe I could fill my legs again if I'd go hit some tennis. And as I sat, look at me, people, as I sat in that parking lot, as I sat in that parking lot, my cell phone rang. It's a number from the Anderson area. I don't usually pick it up if they're not. I was in Phoenix, but I picked it up. Look at me. It was Gloria Gaither. And that morning, I remember thinking, I don't want to live. You know, I, I had some suicidal thoughts. And I picked up the phone. It was Gloria Gaither. And she said, Robin Wood, I've never made a phone call to you. Not since that day or not till today. Come on. I saw her just recently and thanked her for saving my life. But listen to what she said to me. God told me to call you because God is an awesome provider. Are you with me? Say it with me. God is an awesome. She goes, I know you don't want to live. God told me that. And so I called you today to say that God wants to provide for you. And I know you're an adrenaline addict. And so she goes, you know the name Archibald Hart? I did. I'd read all of his books. He had helped me in some sober days in my life with, in, with adrenaline. And it has all kinds of things attached to it and, and acting out and all those kind of things. And she said, I will make a phone call to Arch over in California, and I will fly you there to get help. I'm sitting in this parking lot, not wanting to live, having suicidal thoughts, and she calls me. Now listen to me. On that same day, I left that parking lot, and I drove to get my medications because they were running out. And I drove up to the Walgreens window. You know that big window, you know, and you go to the window, and someone comes to that window. I didn't know this person I saw and I'll never forget, she took my prescriptions, she walked to the back, then she walked to the window, and then she leaned into that little microphone there, and she said, Mr. Wood, I could lose my job for this, but I don't like your doctor. And she put in a swear word with it. Come on, I can't say it up here. I don't like your mm -mm, doctor, you know. And I said, well, what's it? She goes, you should not be taking these medications. They just cause psychotic she goes, you're taking, you know, Dexedrine Speed with Ambien, and, and it's, it's horrible. And she goes, I could lose my job for that. And I said, ma'am, do you know me? Now, here I am pastoring this area where there's 4,000 people that come to my church. This is like one mile from my church. She said, no, I don't know you. But listen to what she said. I've watched you be kind to your kids. And she said, so I just wanted to ask you, are you okay? I go, no, I'm not okay. And she goes, well, you shouldn't be taking. Now, think of this. I just left the parking lot at Sports Authority, drove two miles to Walgreens. And God is an awesome provider. Would you say it with me? God is an awesome provider. He'll use people. He'll use someone you never knew. He'll, he'll use someone you thought you'd never get a phone call from. And so she said, please don't be taking these. I had to give them to you, but don't be taking them. So I drove home and called Mr. Archibald, Dr. Archibald Hart. 
And I told him, he said, oh, you should never be taking those things. He said, and then he got mad at my doctor. He's never met him. Come on, you got to love it. He said, he's no better. You're, 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 you're ADHD. You're, you're taking dextrodrine straight speed. Are you ready for the final moment this day? Say, God is an awesome provider. Come on, say it with me. God is an awesome provider. Then I went in my bedroom. I thought I'm going to throw down a couple of ambience, even though I shouldn't be taking them. I've got to go to sleep. I've got to forget that I, that I can't face life. And I turned the TV on, and they had a Betty Ford Clinic special with Glenn Campbell, who was telling his story about mixing Ambien with things like Dexedrine. Now, come on, people. You can't make this stuff up. And said, please don't do They They had a whole special. Please. It, when he did that, he had some psychotic episode. Ended up in prison for 10 days, if you know the whole story. I'm from Phoenix, and so we know that story. I don't know Glenn Candle, even though he's gentle on my mind. Come on. And I thought, Lord, you are such an awesome provider. And so I flushed those things down the toilet. Now, Archibald later told me that's the worst thing you could have done. You're not going to sleep for five days, and I didn't. But the bottom line, are you ready? The day is not over. And at midnight, I got a knock on my door. It kind of freaked me out. I'm there by myself. You know, my wife's left, and, and we haven't sold the house yet. And I go to the door, and it's Maggie Bardus. And Maggie's our realtor, you know. It's midnight. And I go, Maggie, I don't want you to feel weird, but what are you doing knocking on my door at midnight? He, oh, it's okay. Steve knows I'm here. Steve's our husband. He's the architect of our church. And she had tears coming down her face, and she said, I'll never forget. God told me to come here to save your life. She goes, have you been feeling suicidal today? She came in and sat down. I told her these three events. And uh, she said, you know, my dad committed suicide. We cried together. She prayed for me and you know, then left. And I say it with me, would you? God is an awesome provider. Of all the people in the world that need God more than me, he cared about me. And he tapped people on the shoulder that day to save my life. And I know he could forgive me. I want to teach you just one more thing. His most unbelievable provision for you and me is Jesus. Listen, when Jesus came, I don't often teach this, but this... When I did this study, it really changed my life. Jesus, Jesus was a rabbi for it. Now, the Bible refers to him as rabbi more than son of God. Now, he's the son of God. He's God himself. But the Bible refers to Jesus as a rabbi. And he would have worn, um, worn this uh, prayer shawl. If you didn't know what it was, I, I asked most crowds and they don't know, so I don't want to embarrass you. So it's a prayer shawl. You probably haven't worn one lately. But he would have worn this every day. Every rabbi would have worn a prayer shawl. Now, I'm going to teach you a few things about it just to give you some context. There's these little things, these little... Uh, uh, knots tied on the end of a prayer shawl, and they would rub them as they prayed, and they're called tzitzis. This is a fun one to remember. It's spelled T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. Zit, zit. Come on, say tzitzi with me. Come on, you're a teenager. You had the zits. Come on. Tzitzi. Tzitzis, okay? Now, the long one, I don't know if you know, but when you see it, there's five knots. You can't see it up here, but there's five knots on this. And guess what those five knots represent? Anybody want to take a wild guess at it? Were you in the first service? <laughs> Yeah, it's a Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Because when the rabbis would wear this, they taught from the Old Testament, and it was seen as the book of the law, but they didn't see the law like we do, like thou shalt not. They saw it as God's provision. So when you read the Old Testament, it would say, the word of God is like honey to my lips. 
because God always provides and protects. So if we read, don't do this, don't do that, like Samson, when they read, don't do that, don't do that, because your life will be destroyed. And so God provided and protected. He didn't do this to keep you from doing something. He's not holding out on you. So see, the lie has been told from the beginning of the garden. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to eat from that tree. You'll, you'll be as smart as God. You'll know what he knows. No, 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 no. He, blo- he provides again in the garden and blocks that tree so we won't be lost forever. After we eat from it, if he doesn't block us from the tree of life, then we're lost forever. Then he sends Jesus. Now, Jesus comes as a rabbi, But here's where it all changes. The rabbis didn't love all the people. They only, look at me, they only loved the smartest, the most good looking, the most talented, the ones with the best grades, the kind of the hot people. They loved all the great people. And they would say, come and follow me. And they used the phrase, say it with me, it's called heck. I'm sorry, lek hekari, lek hekari. Say it with me, lek hekari. And it meant you can love God the way I do, and you have what it takes because you have all the talent. So they chose the best of the best, the smartest of the smartest, the most good-looking, the most talented, the, the most athletic ability. They chose them. In fact, starting in ninth grade, no women were chosen because women weren't seen as people. It's horrible. Young girls weren't chosen. They only blessed the oldest son, and then they only chose the best of the best. Then Jesus comes and starts wearing this prayer shawl. He's the budding rabbi in his community, and guess what he does? He turns the whole thing upside down, because God's greatest provision for you and me is Jesus. He's the fulfillment of God's love. And Jesus comes as a rabbi, and what does he do? Look at me, people. He chooses the least of the least. Are you with me? He doesn't bless just the oldest son. He blesses all the boys, and then he blesses all the little girls. And they say, let, he says, let the children come to me, not the older boy. Let the children come to me. And they hate him because he's breaking their system of power apart. He's saying God loves everybody. He loves you even when you've fallen off a wall and you've made a shame of your life and you rename your Achilles heel a thorn. He loves you. Because God is an awesome provider. And Jesus comes and he walks along the sea. Have you ever wondered this? He walks along the seashore one day and to Peter and Andrew, he says, come follow me. Now that's how we read it in English, but that's not what he said. He said, lek hekari. They'd never been told that. They were told to go ply their trade. If you ever wondered why Peter and Andrew were fishing, that was a family business. So if you in ninth grade were told you're not good enough to love God, then you're supposed to learn the family business. That's why they're doing it. That's why James and John are learning it, and they're angry guys. They're called sons of thunder. So he doesn't just choose the least of the least. He chooses those that are totally broken. Sons of thunder mean they didn't know any sentences without swear words. Come on, people. Come on. Lighten up out there. I couldn't say a sentence without a swear word until I found Jesus. And within 30 days, he took that habit away. I asked him every day to tame my tongue. I read the book of James. I didn't even know how to do this. But you know what? He provides and protects. He says, lek hekari. And he does it so that we know we can do whatever he asks us to do. So the two great examples in the New Testament, Peter's in the boat. 
and there's a storm, and he comes, and they think he's a ghost, and then they realize it's Jesus. And Peter's the only one who says this, Lord, you tell me to walk on the water. You tell me to come, then I'll try it. And guess what Jesus says? You got to know the Greek, but he says, lekekarai. You have what it takes to do what I do. See, that's what you don't believe and I don't believe. Jesus is not here just to forgive you. You have the ability to do whatever he asks you to do. You remember when Peter got out of the boat and he was doing just fine? And then all of a sudden he looked around, he got a little nervous with the waves and whatever. Don't worry. He gets back in the boat. Jesus helps him back in the boat because he begins to sink a little bit. There's not a huge struggle here. He helps him into the boat. And then he looks at Peter and says, why did you doubt ye of little faith? Now, guess we're all Westerners, so we preach it wrong. We say, he doubted Jesus. He took his eyes off Jesus. That's not why he sank. He doubted what Jesus said he could do. So when Jesus looked at him, he said, why did you doubt? Robin, would I ask you to plant this church? And here's what gets powerful. After a great fall, you know what Jesus says? I'm not done with you yet. I'll never forget sitting in front of Greg Paris. You want me to get real personal? And Greg Paris forgave me for my fall. And he asked me to plant 10 churches in 10 years. Now look at me, people. And then he says, we have a young man here that I want you to meet. I want you to take him through your assessment. Maybe he has what it takes to plant a church. And that young man is your pastor. I'll never forget meeting with Paul. He assessed as high as anybody I assessed. And then one day he told me about his broken story and his family and his father. And that's the day I said, today you became a church planter. And God led him to Cape Coral. Would someone here shout, God is an awesome provider. Come on, say it with me. God is an awesome provider. He provided your pastor. And it just touches me emotionally. And I've watched God grow him. I stopped this gentleman back here. I love you, buddy. I know you. You said he is getting better every week because God is an awesome provider. And he's going to raise up Paul to be one of the great voices of the kingdom. And he's doing that with you. Now, I don't know your Achilles heel, but I do know this. I need to leave you with one word. And that is, he's going to call you to get out of your boat. It could be of shame. It could be of an Achilles heel. It could be of some sin that you're too ashamed to even name it. Because there's one more big provision. Jesus went to the cross. Remember the tomb and the resurrection. I'm going to ask you one question today. The Bible describes that Jesus is in the tomb. It's in the clutches of Satan. He took all of our sin on him, and he, 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 was, he was killed for taking our sin upon him. And Satan had his way for this moment, for three days. And I've asked myself this week as I prepared for you, what do you think Jesus said in that tomb? Well, the t it also describes that he preached to those that were still trapped in Hades, and that he, he cared about the most broken people in the world. He, he took all of our sin upon him. You know what I think Jesus said? Look at me. I think he said, three days is enough to be trapped by sin. And God blew that stone away. And he rose from the grave to tell you, look at me now, three days is enough to be in your brokenness. Is 30 days enough? 
Is three years enough to be not a whole person in your marriage? To not repent to your spouse for talking down to them? To not repent to your kids that you've hurt? Is 30 years enough? My dad repented to us. I came down, I went to see him the other day. And he repented to me and my sister. It's a long journey to that. But not being our dad, really. And my mom's always had mental illness. It's been tough. We lost her a year or so ago. How long is too long to stay where you're at? Listen, you're here for a reason this morning. Because God is an awesome provider to bring you in this place to receive his forgiveness and to get a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you bow your heads with me? I just want to ask you one question, and then I've asked, I've asked for this unbelievable song to be sung. And it's called, I Remember. I want you to remember that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead for you. And I just pray that you'll receive it. Now, with every head bowed and eye closed, if you need a fresh touch, a fresh forgiveness, a release from this thorn in your life, would you look up at me this morning? Something's going on. You say, I need release from that. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Today's your day to be released from that thorn, to be released from the guilt of that sin. You don't need to keep struggling with that. God bless you. Just let it go. I can see heads lifting up back there. That's awesome. All over this place. Today's your day for God to provide for you. Say with me, God is an awesome provider. Say it, would you? God is an awesome provider. Lord Jesus, do your miracle work that you always do to restore us, to call us back. God bless this song I remember. Lord, just bless the way we hear it. And may we feel your fullness and your forgiveness and your grace and your peace, because you're an awesome provider through your son, Jesus, who gave up his life for us. Lord, may we feel that forgiveness in a powerful way in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.